Good morning, everybody. Ah, praise the Lord. Glorious day. It's amazing. But next week, we begin that holy season of Lent. And so make sure you grab a bulletin if you haven't already. Uh, the mass schedule, the schedule for, for Ash Wednesday is, is on there. And uh, call your attention because there's a little tweak in the mass schedule. Remember, Ash Wednesday, for, for whatever reason, is the most popular day in the church's entire church liturgical calendar. It's bigger than Easter. It's bigger than, than Christmas for some reason. And a lot of people hypothesize, why is Ash Wednesday the most popular day in our church, our whole calendar? I think I have the answer. It's because for whatever reason, you love it when we smear holy dirt on your face. You just, you guys just love it. People are like, give me more. So, and so they, they ask my hypothesis is that people just love getting smeared with dirt on their foreheads. And especially if we come to me, I'm going to put the biggest cross on your forehead ever. And so pay attention to the schedule because there's a tweak in it. The major change in it is that mass, instead of normally it's on 8.30, we're moving it to 6.30 a.m. So there's 6.30 a.m. in Portola, then 12.10 back here, we normally do, and then 5.30 and back in the evening time in Portola. But the reason why we move the early mass is because... Many of you go to work, and I've heard over the years you, have, you don't have a chance to go to Ash Wednesday before work, and especially as teachers here as well. Look at this great opportunity. Check out this evangelical scenario. Mrs. Renteria here will go to class. She's going to come to 630 Mass. I'm going to smear the biggest cross on her forehead. She's going to walk into the classroom, and then her kids are going to say, Ms. Renteria, why is there dirt on your forehead? And then she'll say, oh, it's Ash Wednesday. What is Ash Wednesday? Oh, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the holy season of Lent. What is Lent? Lent is the day that preceding to Christmas, I mean to Easter. What happens at Easter? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that evangelical tool now when all of you go to work and you have dirt on your forehead. And so I thought, ah, Mass at 6.30 a.m. in the morning. So for all of you who go to work, get up early and we began that miserable season as we suffer, as we enter into the desert with Jesus Christ. So 6.30 a.m., first Mass of the day, and then 12.10, and then, of course, 5.30 back in Portola. So for those of you who go to work, I hope to see you at 6.30 a.m. Again, I am sparing nothing on your forehead. I've been practicing, too. I've got a little board that I practice with. It's hilarious. Let's get into these readings. It's perfect for the upcoming season of Lent, and... Because God is so good. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Like many of you, I'm sure you've been watching the news and the unfolding crisis that's happening in Ukraine. My heart breaks for our people there. War is never good. In a particular way, it's a little personal because when I was a student in Rome... One of the advantages of studying in Rome is that you study with Catholics from all over the world. And you hear, about, you hear about the different situations that the Catholic Church is in throughout the world. Because, praise God, we are so free here. We are so utterly free in the practice of our faith here. I mean, yeah, there's instances, but for the most part, none of us fears that we're going to die today because we're Catholic. And this amazing thing, the history of the Catholic Church in Ukraine is beautiful. And part of the reasons why, if you look at a map of Ukraine, the western half of, the U- of Ukraine, which is more aligned to the west, we hear that if you, if you follow the news, a big part of that is because 
A big part of the Western Ukraine, they're devoutly Catholic. In the 1940s, when communism took over, they suppressed the Catholic Church in Ukraine. Again, you heard me preach about this constantly. One of the first things that tyrants always do, they always attack the Catholic Church. It's one of the first things on their list. Why? Because they understand the power of the church. And you got to suppress that in order to, to execute your agenda. And so beautifully and heroically, for the last 50 years, the church in Ukraine survived underground, remained faithful, no matter what. And then when, they, when, when the pressures of, of the suppression was released, the Catholic Church came out of the catacombs and flourished. And I would hear stories beautifully from these priests that I studied with. They would tell us, oh, we were growing in leaps and bounds, the, the Ukrainian faith for devout. And I love hearing these stories from them because as a, as a priest in the West, I feel utterly lazy when I hear their stories. Because what is stopping me from getting more devout and more prayerful? Just my own, my own laziness. I want to read you a text from somebody in Ukraine, one of our faithful Catholics. This is what he writes. Me and my fraternity, there's a group of them, are located in Lviv, Western Ukraine, and yet we haven't been directly attacked by the Russians. However, there is a big threat from the Belarusian side, you know, Belarus is from the north, and they lost rockets from time to time at us. Please pray for Ukraine for our army, for our civil people, and for peace. I would also ask that you pray for our enemy, Russia, and their political leader, Putin, so that God will soften his heart and stop the war against us. In prayer, we are strong. We fight for truth. If God are, is with us, who can be against us? Beautiful. And as we all know, as, as Putin marches on, our Holy Father recently on Friday, he went to the embassy in Rome, the Russian embassy. And it's, he violated all diplomatic protocol. Remember, the Pope is ahead of state and there's certain protocols when you visit an embassy. And he went straight there in an attempt to plead, to come out just to get Putin's attention. But as we all know, Putin, men like that in history... They're not swayed by conversation. You know, I speak about when you don't have God in your life, the four classical substitutes rush into that vacuum. Remember, you guys all know this already by heart. When we don't have God in our lives, the four classical substitutes always replace him. Money, power, honor, pleasure. Oh, when I look at Putin, they say he's the richest man on earth, by the way. They say he, he's willing to kill anybody that stands in his way. In fact, when I read more about Putin, he reminds me of the Roman emperors of old. Those who will do and stop at nothing just to keep their power. Reminds me of someone like that. As he threatens nuclear war at us. So unpredictable. As it cascades, and uh, we got to pray that doesn't cascade further. And when you look at the world stage, what else do we see? This is going to be a happy Sunday, by the way. <laughs> as I lay out the stage of the world. And then Iran is rattling, aren't they, as well? They're on path to get their nuclear bomb. And as we know, Israel has said, we will not allow that to happen. And so they'll stop them. 
Then you look across the pond, all oh, China licking their chops, aren't they? They see Taiwan. For Xi Jinping, he says that the acquisition of Taiwan is, will be the crowning achievement of his reign. That's what he wants. He's got his eye on that. It said that our, our technology rests upon our semiconductors, our microchips. 80% of them are produced in Taiwan, by the way. And the rest are produced in South Korea. And so if we ever have, if China ever makes its move on Taiwan, oh, could you imagine the repercussions of that? And as we all know what we're going to feel, because all of this sounds like it's all across the pond there, on the other side of the world, but we're going to start feeling it in our wallet, aren't we? Russia is the third largest energy producer in the world. Oh, you think gas is expensive now. And once the gas goes up, what happens? Everything else goes up. And so as I look at the state of the world, what happens? There's this anxiety, isn't there? We're just getting over COVID, aren't we? And then now this. It's like one thing after another. I predict we're going to have a huge fire again next year. Or this summer. For the heck of it, you know. Why not? Let's keep on pounding on top of it. And then a meteor's going to strike, I think. I don't know. Why not? But I laid this out. Why not to make us depressed? But here's, here's the point why I'm laying out this dire scenario for us. Because it goes back to the psalm. Psalm 92. There's a beautiful line in Psalm 92. Look at this. In light of all of the turmoil that we see, this unease, look what the psalmist 92 says. The just one shall flourish like a palm tree, like a cedar of Lebanon shall he grow. Who is the just one? The just one is somebody who is rooted in God. The cedar of Lebanon is an ancient image. If you've ever seen a cedar of Lebanon, they're stout trees. They're, they're, they're fat little trees. But they're, they're, they're not as big as a redwood, but they're stout trees. They're an image of strength. They've got these massive roots. And the psalmist is saying the, one, the person, the just one that is rooted in God is like a cedar of Lebanon. Meaning, somebody whose roots are deep stands no matter what happens. Do you see? That's, that's the Christian right there. A Christian who was rooted deep. And that no matter what happens, because you and I, we can't control what's happening in China. We can't control what's happening in Ukraine against Russia. You and I, we don't have oil refineries. We don't, we don't control the systems of economies. We don't control any of that. So what do we do? What does a Christian say? I'm a tree. <laughs> I'm a cedar. And the just one is somebody who knows who God is. You see, this kind of faith and this kind of trust is, cannot simply be, be manufactured. We can't make it up. So oh, oh, I have faith no matter what happens. Oh, you can't, you can't manufacture that faith out of thin air. It takes work and discipline. It takes time to develop that kind of trust in the Lord. 1988, a massive earthquake hits Armenia. Fun fact, because you guys know I'm a nerd, and I love fun facts. Armenia is the first nation on earth to adopt Christianity as the official religion of their nation. Armenia, first nation on earth in the year 301. They've been Christian for 1,700 years, Armenia. So next time you're in jeopardy, you get that question, I get 10% of your winnings. Okay. 
Armenia, the first Christian nation on earth since 301. So a massive earthquake hits that city or that, that nation and levels practically a lot of the cities there. And the, the construction there in Armenia, there tends to be bricks and stone. So it's easy to crumble. And when this massive earthquake hits, within four minutes, 30,000 people are dead. Four minutes, 30,000. By the end of it, 100,000 would eventually succumb to, the, to their injuries. It happened at 11.14 p.m. There was a father in a city. When the earthquake happens, immediately he thinks, Oh, my kid. My kid. He had a seven-year-old son. Runs to the school. And where the school stood, it was just a heap of rubble. The school collapsed. So his father runs around to the back of the school where his son's classroom was. He looks there and it's just a pile of stone. And his father begins to dig. Brick by brick, rubble by rubble. Begins picking up stones. After six hours, still digging. Bare hands, no gloves. The people come up to him and say, what are you doing? The kids are all dead. Stop it. He says, no, I can't. 12 hours, still digging. The fire chief comes. Just give up. What are you doing? They're all gone. He says, no. I promised my son I would always be there for him. I promised him. 14 hours pass. He's still digging. The town people come. Just stop it. What are you doing? There's no hope. They're all dead. No, I promised him I would not stop. 18 hours come. He's still digging 18 hours straight. By the point, his hands are just a mangled mess. But he doesn't stop. 24 hours later, he's still there digging. 34 hours later, still there digging. 38 hours later, still there. Pulls up. One more slab of concrete. And to his joy, he calls out his son's name. Armand. His son looks up. Dad. He turns around to the rest of his, kid, his classmates. They had found a pocket in the rubble. He turns around to the kids in his classroom. And he says, smiling, see, I told you my dad would come for us. In that statement right there, see, I told you my dad would come for me. And that little statement is jam-packed with a father who always remained faithful to him his entire life. Was a father who was always there for him. Let me ask you, do you think That kid had a relationship with his dad. Oh, you better believe it. That in that little statement is a life of that father spending time with him, growing up with him, feeding him, being by his side. So for his whole entire short life, he knew that his dad would always be there for him. Because he knew his father. And so when the earthquake hit and his school collapsed on his head, 
you had no worries. Because he knew his dad. On March 8th, Tuesday at 6 p.m., as we've been talking about for the last couple weeks now, our parish is going to launch into a deep dive into the Bible. What is this Bible study going to do? We're going, as a parish family, we're going to dive into the sacred scripture. And this intent we're, we're, we're hoping to achieve is that we're going to get to know our Father. This is the goal of the Bible study. And I want everybody to attend, as many of you, of you as possible. We're going to take the sacred scripture, this book, which is the most influential book in the entire history of humanity. This book here shakes, quivers down the spine of every single tyrant and emperor and king who wishes to suppress us. This book, which you hear proclaimed every single Sunday, we're going to know it in and out. Because we're going to get to know our father. Because then no matter what happens in the world, who knows? We have no idea what's going to unfold. Because as we all know, whenever events like what's happening in Ukraine happen now, it's unpredictable. Unpredictable. Nothing ever goes according to plan in war. But the Christian, the Christian is a cedar. The Christian stays put, is unshaken. Look what Paul says in the second reading. Oh, Paul's a cedar. My beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, steadfast, always devoted to the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Paul's a cedar. Paul knows who his father is. And with this Bible study, I hope, as a parish family, we will do that. So if you haven't already, I ask you to discern well. Join us already at this point. We have over 60 people signed up already. And for our little tiny parish, that's amazing. So I invite all of you, come to the Bible study on Tuesday. Right here in the hall, we have people coming from Portola, Grego, people coming in from Reno. And we're going to, in this, our beautiful social hall, we're going to get to know who our Father is. So that no matter what happens, our roots will remain deep and unshaken.